Welcome to the Carolina Chronicles podcast. This episode, we are joined once again by Mr. Rob Chumley, and we are continuing on uh, following up with our last conversation on more South Carolina firsts. So let's get into it. All right, it's a go. Okay. You know, last time we talked a lot about um, South Carolina first and things to be proud of South Carolina for. Today, I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of mention that again, kind of as a second little segment, you might say, you know. And I, I've got a uh, history book here that was used in South Carolina schools. Uh, it's entitled The History of South Carolina, and uh, it was one of the books written by Ms. Mary Sims Oliphant. Uh, Great-looking little history book, and it uh, looks like it was published by... Laidlaw Brothers, which is a part of Doubleday and Company, and so they've got an interesting little list at the back of South Carolina First. Now, we made reference to that last time, but what I'd like to do today is just go through real quick and just read off the list, and this is in the back of the book about things, interesting things, and things for the first time that happened in South Carolina. So I'd like to go ahead and just kind of go through the list, and then after that, there's two or three in particular that I'd like to point out and kind of elaborate a little bit on. Okay. All right, the first one is... um, 1526, this is the first European settlement on the Atlantic coast, was made near Wenya Bay, which is near Georgetown, 1526. Down near Port Royal? And that was, of course, that wasn't wasn't a permanent settlement, but it was the first time that there was a settlement made there and uh, on, the, on the, the east coast, on the Atlantic coast, and it was there near Wenya Bay. Yeah, not far from Georgetown, yeah. Georgetown County. And then the second thing here says 1562 or 1563, it says a light sailing vessel, the first ship built in America to cross the Atlantic, was built by Huguenots at Port Royal. And that was oh, wow. 1562 or 63. 1680, Carolina gold rice, uh, the finest in the world, was planted by Dr. Henry Woodward. That's in 1680. 1695, and we mentioned this before, the first free library in America was started in Charlestown, 1695. 1703, Charlestown was the first American city to witness a theatrical performance. Oh, really? Yeah. And when was that again? 1703. And then in 1712, and you'll find this to be interesting, the first state health officer in America was Gilbert Guttery of South Carolina. Between 1712. Oh, wow. 1735, the first opera advertised by title in America was given in Charlestown. 1735. That same year, listen to this. I bet, you, I bet you've never heard this before. The same year, 1735, the first mutual fire insurance company in America was organized in Charlestown. You know, I think I had heard that I, in long and another... Another time, I used to be in insurance, and I just thought that was the most fascinating thing. <laughs> you would have think you would have thought that would have been up north, but that's actually Charlestown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then again, lots of activity in the 1730s. In 1738, Mrs. Lewis Timothy became the editor of the South Carolina Gazette in Charlestown. She was the first known woman in American journalism. 1738. 1740, the first free school for blacks, for black South Carolinians in America, was founded at Charlestown, 1740. 
1762, I think we mentioned this last time, the St. Cecilia Society, which yes. was probably the first musical society in America, was organized in Charlestown. 1773, the first public museum and the first city chamber of commerce were founded in Charlestown. And then we mentioned last time uh, the seal of South Carolina and the March 26 date where South Carolina started a new constitution. Well, in 1776, this is an interesting little anecdote here. South Carolina was the only state whose signers of the Declaration of Independence were all natives of the state and all college men all educated abroad. The only state. Wow. And then in 1785, the College of Charleston became the first municipal college in the United States. It was established in 1785. In 1789, a cotton mill, the first in the United States, was built on James Island. And of course, we know the University of South Carolina uh, was uh, chartered in 1801, and it was the first educational institution to be supported entirely by state funds. It chartered in 1801 and opened in 1805. Now, this is also interesting. 1827, the first manual labor school in the United States was opened in Abbeville. That would have been a vocational center. Yeah, probably like a tech school. Wow. And so in 1830, of course, now these two I think we referred to last time. 1830, the South Carolina Railroad opened, and it was the first passenger railway of any length in the world to be operated by, by steam. Now, in 1898, the first tea farm in the United States was established at Somerville. And this is very interesting here. It says in 1952, as of 1952, in the period between 1929 and 1952, South Carolina ranked first in the nation in its increase in per capita income in that period of time. Well, that's significant. And then as of the... As of 1952, South Carolina ranked first in the United States in the shipment of fresh, of fresh peaches to market, first in the number of cotton spinning spindle hours, and the first in the value of cotton broad woven goods manufactured. Let's go back to peaches for a second, mm -hmm. because I find this interesting. Inman was the peach cap. Inman, South Carolina, was the peach capital of the world when I was uh, growing up in Spartanburg County. Uh -huh. The the little Spartanburg County shipped more peaches than the entire state of Georgia, which That's is right. the peach state. That's right. I used to always hear people talk about that, that statistic all the time. Well, if you lived in the low country and you were a teenager, in the summertime you went and picked tobacco usually. Right. If you lived in the upstate, you went and worked in the peach shed. That's right. I've had many friends talk about growing up and earning their college money or yep. a very a, their first car by money earned at the peach shed. Yep. My parents used to talk about that, too. When they were kids, they picked cotton, and then when they were teenagers, they worked at the peach shed. Yep. So that's exactly right. So peaches is always a big part of it, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, Ann, because that's kind of what I wanted to focus a little bit on was kind of some of the botany issues. There was a couple of things here that weren't mentioned. Um, I know uh, oranges, the first attempt at growing oranges in the United States was attempted in South Carolina. Down in Berkeley County, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, so oranges, they attempted that there. And, and there is, you know, there is a wild orange uh, that grows wild in South Carolina. It's very similar, and you can see it growing uh, in the woods a lot of times. So oh, I've never seen it. I've been in the woods many times. I've never seen it. Where do you see it? Well, we've also got you. You see it occasionally, and it's uh, it, it's just it's, it's a type of orange, and it and it grows wild. And by, it really has an orange on it, mm -hmm. an orange fruit. 
My really? Bro- my brother can tell you more about it. He's really he's explored it a lot and studied it. But we have, um, just as a little aside, we planted a lemon tree at our farm uh, just up the road. Uh-huh. And uh, we've had it growing. And the thing now is probably about 30 feet high. And it's got lemons all over it. It has lemons. It's covered in lemons at Christmas every year. And it's been outside growing uh, down sort of on the back side of our barn down near the creek. And it's been growing there now for about four or five years. Where it's been sheltered. Yep. So you it's mean outside. You planted it in the ground. Now I've got friends who We're order citrus trees and they plant them in wheelbarrows. And in the summer, they're outside, and in the yep. winter, they go inside the garage. I have never heard that. This one is, and, it wow. has, and it's covered with it's covered with lemons uh, at Christmas, and um, they're they're big, juicy lemons, and they really have a lot sweeter taste. Um, I guess right off the lemon tree. Maybe, oh, they do. Maybe they pick up tart. The tartness maybe increases after it's been off the tree for a while. But when you get it off the tree, it's got a lot it's a sweeter taste to it. I remember visiting my aunt and uncle in, in uh, California. They lived in Camarillo, just north of L.A. when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. And they had about three lemon trees in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And those lemons were the size of, you know, those children's, those little footballs, the children's footballs. Right. I mean, they're still like, what, four to, oh, yeah. four to five inches across? Oh, yeah. And those things, and my Aunt Billy had bowls of lemons all over her house. It always smelled like lemon, mm-hmm. and she'd make lemonade, and oh my gosh, you could just slice those things and eat them like oranges. They were sweet. Oh, yeah. They were wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it goes back and tells you from a botanical standpoint that it's amazing, and uh and in in the context of, of South Carolina, I know something that most every old gardener has around is, of course, everybody has gardenias. Oh, yeah. Or what the old common name for it was is called Cape Jasmine. Uh, the uh, That, of course, was named after Alexander Garden, who was a doctor from Charleston. He developed the gardenia. Oh. So that was another South Carolina issue. But, but as far as the arts, uh, the sciences, and education go, uh, South Carolina has a lot to be proud of, and that's something that I hope that if if people hear these facts, they'll think back on. It. And you know, today it's fashionable, it seems like, to bash the South in general and South Carolina in particular. And it seems like every time you hear a statistic, we're always last in it. And you know, I'm always I always want to question that because when you look at South Carolina first, it's amazing what's been done in South Carolina. Now, go back for a minute to the tea farm. South Carolina was the first state to grow tea, and South Carolina is still the only state to grow tea on a commercial scale today. Oh, wow. And so if anybody has opportunity, I'd encourage you, go to the South Carolina uh, uh, tea plantation, which is on uh, Wadmalaw Island, uh, south of uh, Maybank Highway, south of Charleston. Go out there, and they'll, they'll give you a tour. And you can get take a little tea tasting and taste the oh, tea and that type of stuff. I, yeah, I you see it. Boxes of it. That's right. Well, you can t- you can tour the plantation down there, and you can go see it. And some of the tea plants have been there for years and years because see, uh, the tea plant is really a, it's a camellia. Yeah. And what you see growing in people's yard is is usually a camellia sasanqua or camellia um, uh, japonica. Those are the flowering camellias that everybody right. sees. But the tea plant is what's called camellia sinensis. And it doesn't actually look like a camellia when you first look at it, but you just take the little leaves, let those things dry, and that's your tea leaves. And so they it grows great in South Carolina, makes great tea, and uh, it's a, it's a commercial crop. And but um, you know, for for something that's consumed on such a large scale in the United States and around and the world, especially in the South, 
Yeah. Oh, it's a South Carolina <laughs> specialty. Iced tea. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So this is just one of those things. I just wanted to go through the list and kind of read it off because it goes on and on. And these are some of the things we brought out that's not even listed in this list. But it shows you some of the things that took place here. Uh, I love the story about uh, Dr. Henry Woodward, the guy who's sort of the founder of the Carolina Gold Rice. He has a fascinating story. Um, if you ever read about it, he was he first he came here initially uh, on a ship in 1666, and um, a lot of the folks that were on the ship went back to England, and he volunteered to stay behind in the South Carolina wilderness as a goodwill ambassador to the Indians. And so he stayed there. The ship left, and he stayed in the South Carolina Low Country. Well, uh, a raiding party of Spaniards came up from Florida because, as you know, Spain had Florida. Right. And so they, um, and then the French were coming down the, um, the Mississippi River. So it was a real, it was a real European war as to who was going to get control of the New World. You know, you had the, the French, the English, and the Spanish. Well, the Spanish came up the coast, and they actually captured Dr. Henry Woodward, took him back and imprisoned him in the Castillo de San Marcos in St. Augustine because they called an Englishman. Well, he escaped from down there, and he escaped from the castle, from the dungeon, and got picked up by a ship, an English ship. Well, much to his dismay, the ship that picked him up was a pirate ship, and so he was sort of... Some days you just can't win. (laughs) He was impressed into service as a ship's surgeon for the pirates. Well, the ship sunk and was wrecked in a hurricane, and, Sounds like uh, 2020, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and he was actually marooned on a tropical island and uh, survived, got on the island, and was picked up by another English ship. And this is amazing. It was the same ship that he was waiting for to come back from England, and they carried him back to South Carolina in 1670. Are you kidding So that me? took him four years to get back. So wow. the story of Dr. Henry Woodward is fascinating in and of itself, but he's the guy, the first guy to develop the rice, which led to the rice culture in the Low Country. So there's just so many interesting stories about South Carolina and so many first. I hope that the people who, who listen to this, if they'll take an interest, will you know have a little sense of pride in, in this little small state and everything that is accomplished. And we've just scratched the surface about some of its first. But these are just a few things to think about, you know, in the beginning as the country was getting off to a to a good start, you know. Exactly. So Oh yeah. Oh we mentioned last week the first department store in the United States was in Charleston as well. So, that's... Um, yep. And there's so much history in Charleston, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that department store is probably not still open. You know, I was... <laughs> seriously, it may be. The, uh, I was doing some genealogy research several years ago, and I actually saw a copy of a handbill that had been posted um, probably in the 1600s. They advertised for everybody. They wanted housewives, barristers, uh shoe people, shoemakers, mm-hmm. repairmen, they wanted everything in the world except lawyers. <laughs> lawyers, judges and barristers were invited, you know, magistrates, whatever. Yeah, come over, we need you. Lawyers, no, stay in England. I thought that was so funny. I went, who changed the law? <laughs> Who's responsible? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, and just, it, stuff like that's really um, yeah, history is more entertaining. You know, the truth is stranger than fiction. They say it is, and it's so. a lot of fun. And really, it's 
it's the same thing over and over, just different clothes That's and right. different modes of transportation. Yeah. But people really are just about the same. So so it is an amazing thing. It really is. It really is. But um, I'm proud of being a South Carolinian. I know you are, and, and uh, I hope that we can get this to a lot of people and more and more people will take pride in their state and, and be proud of their heritage and, and where they come from. It's uh, it's really a good thing, and, and that needs to happen. Well, so. you know, I'm kind of tired being a, a native South Carolinian. I'm, I'm kind of tired of, of just hearing um, or going out of state, and they go, oh, you're from South Carolina. And I'm thinking, you have no clue what you're... Ignorance is bliss. I know. You do, ignorance is really bliss. You have no clue what you're even addressing here. Yeah. Because there was tremendous wealth here. There was there was intelligence here. There was a lot of commerce, a lot of business. But I will say this: our business model, uh, having again do, done a little bit of research on that, is really is based on a Jamaican business model. Mm-hmm. Because so many of the Englishmen went down into the Caribbean, yep. Jamaica in particular. And uh, had their plantations down there. They whatever commerce, trading, merchants, mercantile, shipping, whatever it was they did. Right. They brought that business model back to South Carolina. That's right. And our business model was different than the business models up north. I'm not going to say it was better or worse. It was definitely profitable. Right. Because we were the most profitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. State. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of them came from Barbados too. Yeah. A lot of people and, came from Barbados. You know, I think it's probably a mixed bag. I haven't studied it in depth. The economy's just just does not pop my buttons. But yeah. Um, so I think there were there were all kinds of people who came in with that, and I believe, um, as I understand it, part of my father's family came in through an Englishman through Barbados mm-hmm. up into the colonies mm-hmm. and. Um, had a um, what they call it, um, a ferry boat. It was really it. It almost was more of a barge, from the pictures yeah. I've seen. Mm-hmm. But uh, they called it a ferry, and he shipped cargo up and down from Georgetown, up the Petey River, up to Chiraw, and then back down. So, a lot of business went on in this state. Um, one of the favorite sports was horse racing. Oh, yeah. There was horse racing all over South Carolina. So it's sort of natural that NASCAR started here. You're right. <laughs> so, exactly right. Ra- the ra- racing just continued. We that's just exactly changed right. horses, that's all. That's right. So, um, that's exactly right. It, it, um, that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun to know that stuff. Well, it's a good thing for people to keep in mind, and it's and, and you never are at a loss for information if you've got some of this stuff in the back of your mind. You know, when when things come up, because um, it's important nowadays to, I think um, you remember the old um, remember the old Beach Boys song back when the Beach Boys talked about uh, being true to your school. Well, you know, people should be true to their state and be proud of where they come from because every, there's uh, it's a rich history. Um, all the original 13 colonies, each one's got a unique history, but um, South Carolina's to me is is particularly interesting and, and particularly unique. And so I think that's something that, uh, that we ought to all be very familiar with and um, defensive of, you know. Well, Rob, let's go back and talk about the state of South Carolina a little bit more in a little bit more about where the people here came from. 
Well, of course, the planters came into Charleston, mm-hmm. and uh, all the people, all the countries, all the uh, ethnic backgrounds, everything that came in with that. Uh-huh. So we were a pretty diverse group. And I know I talked about the Jewish uh, um, groups that came in, and they were pretty much given free reign to do mm-hmm. in commerce what they wanted to do as well, as, right. as opposed to different parts of Europe where there were so many restrictions on them. So they flourished in South Carolina. Right. And I believe that Reform Judaism began in Charleston. Mm-hmm. But um, you go, the back country in colonial times really is what I still consider the low country. It was like up to the PD, the Santee. Right. You've got, um, and a lot of the people from Charleston, because of disease in the summertime, malaria, yep. mosquitoes, they they said they, they had second homes in the back country. Right. Exactly. Which didn't seem that far back to me, but it was far right. enough away from right. all the water in the, the salt marshes to um, be a little bit more conducive to health. Right. Um, but from there, they kind of pushed back into the uh, up country to where we are now. I know um, I'm, I'm thinking about Woodruff. It was started by... Basically, a band of, I know this because I've got a cousin who's from here, uh-huh. from, from Woodruff, that was telling me about it. Yeah. And she, um, Woodruff was started by a band of Revolutionary War veterans mm-hmm. because their homes had been burned. They had nothing else to go back to. And they went, you know what? This is a good piece of, uh, this is a good section of the country right here. Let's live here and look out for each other. We'll, we've got everybody six here. We'll, just, we'll take care of everybody. So that is how the community of Woodruff got started. Yep. Um, you got a couple miles down the road, you go into Switzer. That was a, a stop on the train later right. when the trains came through. Right. So um, it was... As they call the Switzer, the Switzer block. And uh, and I could hear um, I can hear the trains, you know, at night when the... Especially on a rainy night, I can hear the trains in Switzer pretty good from my backyard. Oh wow! You know, a distance on a so it's it's nice when you hear that. That's but it's that's, that's a long way to go. But it has to be a certain type of night for me to be able to hear it when I hear the train whistles. But um, you're exactly right. It's very unique, and um, you know the the Greenville Spartanburg County line was the line which separated the Cherokee country from South Carolina for a long time, and the Cherokee Nation started in Greenville County, and after 1776 that was opened up for settlement. So you had a lot of people that settled uh, Greenville, Anderson, Pickens, uh, Oconee counties, mm-hmm. uh, Abbeville, uh, some of those areas, Lawrence, some of those areas later. In fact, you had a lot of, um, there were, uh, there was a lot, a lot of Scotch-Irish that came into those areas uh, about the time of the Revolution and right after the Revolution. One, uh, one side of my, my mother's family uh, came and uh, from Virginia and just moved down from Virginia into the upstate of South Carolina. So you did have people moving up from the coast and moving into the open, into the new lands, I guess, looking for land. But you also had people that came down kind of through the mountains too. So it makes it, um, it makes it really rich in, in, in background. But uh, so there's a lot to be such a small state, you know, South Carolina goes from the mountains to the seas, they always said, and it's got, uh, it's got every kind of geographical 
um, reference, you know, and and so it's all it's it's really it's really neat. It's really neat to study. Did you ever go into the old Abbeville County Museum? No, I never have. Well, in the Abbeville County Museum, there hung a sign that said Texas began here. <laughs> and you know, and and so I thought, what is that about? And as that led me on a trail of research right there. But what that's about is Sam Houston, Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me who all they were, the, the commander of the Alamo. There were like five South Carolinians at the Alamo, and the, they were the they were the figureheads at the Alamo. The, they were. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's funny you'd mention that because this past weekend uh, we had to go down to Aiken. And as we came back, my wife Tammy and me stopped, and, and our girls, um, Georgia Gray and Charlotte, we got out and we took a picture beside a nice little historical marker that's only been there since 1989. It's a nice little monument, and it's to William Barrett Travis. Colonel Travis. Colonel that's Travis that was, was his name. He was the commander. You yep. know, he was really the second in command of the Alamo under Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie was sick, and so uh, Colonel Travis was really in control uh, of the Alamo, and he was a South Carolinian. Another uh, well-known South Carolinian there was James Bonham. He was also from, and this monument now is in Saluda County, but back then it was all kind of considered Edgefield, you know, the Edgefield, the Red, Abbeville yeah, area. Yeah, the Red Bank area down right. through there. And so uh, James Bonham was also from the Edgefield area. He was an attorney, practiced in Pendleton, and uh, left and went to the Alamo. His brother, Millage Luke Bonham, became governor of South Carolina. So um, I have a, a good friend who uh, who's an attorney, and he told me one time, he said, you know, and I and I got a lot of friends. We've, we've got some good friends in Texas, so I in no way mean this to disparage Texas. But he said one time, he said, you know, I don't remember there being any Texans at the Alamo. It was just a bunch of South Carolinians and Tennesseans. Because, <laughs> you know, and the funny thing about Davy Crockett is, you know, his dad, uh, John Crockett, was supposedly at the Battle of Kings Mountain. Really? I did not know that. So, But I, I had read that Davy Crockett got his legislative start in the South Carolina legislature. Well, you know... Um, I've never heard that, but it's it's very it's possible uh, because uh, I don't know where his where his father lived, but he was part of the Over Mountain men, you know, yeah. that opposed Patrick Ferguson at Kings Mountain apparently and was in that battle. So he was in South Carolina at some point. Well, he was here at some point. Uh-huh. He, they lived here. I don't think they lived here that long, and I I believe. I, the trail's a little cold, but I really believe he got his start in the South Carolina legislature before moving on to Tennessee, who now claims him as their native son. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. And see, this monument... But he was here first. That's right. And that monument I was telling you about that we uh, went by this past weekend, uh, it was erected, I think, by the state of South Carolina and the state of Texas, because really the state of Texas you know, got its start because of these guys from South Carolina that stood at the Alamo so long. They all were South Carolinians. Well, I always say Texas is the child of South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. So we have a lot in common. People, you know, and, and people have made that statement, I guess, um, probably concerning politics or different things. They've said, oh my gosh, that y'all are so alike. You're so alike. And I went, well, of course, Texas is the child of South Carolina. Well, you know, the um, uh, one of our governors, James Hamilton Jr., who was governor of South Carolina in 1830, it was 1830 to 1832. Back then, he served as governor for two years. And Robert Hayne came in as governor in 1832. But James Hamilton, Jr., he, after he was governor, he loaned a tremendous amount of money to the new state of Texas to help them get on their feet. 
and he was actually trying to kind of collect on some of the loans, and he was en route there on a ship, and it sunk in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, and that's how uh, Governor Hamilton died. He died by he drowned in the Gulf of Mexico. But also you had uh, Louis, uh, Louis Wigfall, Louis T. Wigfall, who was also from Edgefield. In fact, fought a pretty well-known duel in Edgefield. He later became the United States Senator from Texas. Wow. So um, he's an interesting one to look up, too. So there was a tremendous number of people, and that's just getting into just even more things about even more beginnings, you know. And, and most um, most South Carolinians moved west. If, if they moved further west, they moved into Alabama and Mississippi. So it was sort of like the parent state for a lot of those younger states. That or came all later. the way out to Texas. I've had family move in all of those states. That's right. Um, in what we call the olden days, they yeah. took up and moved off. <laughs> That's so. right. I think a few of them finally made it all the way out to California. That's so right. They're just everywhere. But that's how our whole, na- that's the story of our nation. You either came through New England or you came through Charleston. That's right. That's right. So it's it's the story of our country. It sure is. Well, Rob, thank you for that. I, I'm uh, excited to, to cover all that and get that information and we'll just have to proceed from there next time. Absolutely. Well, it's always, always an enjoy, enjoyable time to do this. Thanks for your time, Ann. Uh, my pleasure. Let's do it again. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. Wild oranges. Who would have ever thought? I've lived in this state my entire life, and I had no idea that there were oranges scattered around in all the woods out here. Huh. That'd have to be something I keep an eye on from now on. Well, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at carolinachroniclespodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Pod. All right. Talk to you next time.